Well, this morning we're going to start just a little different than what we normally do. I know that many of you uh, don't know this, but our former pastor's brother and sister Nichols, uh, they pastored the church for 50 years, and they were married for over 70 years. Uh, That's a long, long time. And so they were a great example to us and a great testimony of a blessed marriage and of living for God and serving God. And on their 70th anniversary, CBS News interviewed them and did a a short story about them. And as I said, it's just a tremendous testimony of a blessed home. So I want to share that clip with you. Go ahead. While the new year has most of us thinking about the future, one Fort Worth couple will be reminiscing about the past as they celebrate their 70th wedding anniversary. CBS 11's Adrian Adrian Bankert gets honest answers from the two on how they've made it work all this time. I think we have shared a relationship that the closest friends I have don't have. Yeah, I didn't do a bad job picking her out, did I? I must have been a pretty handsome man back then. (laughs) They've lived nearly a century, and Harold and Lou Nichols still share a meal on a weekly date night at Brahms. That first love, don't let it die down. It had it all these years. So just what has 70 years of matrimony taught them? The most important thing in a man's life is sex. Well, sometimes I, I felt like I was too tired, but I just went on anyway, and it always worked out good. As a godly wife, I can meet his needs where nobody else can. And as a woman, romance still counts, even after all these years. I still have to come in here on Friday night and hold his hand and look at me and tell me how much he loves me. What I mean to him is as thrilling now, as good as it was when I was 19. We've truly loved one another deeply. They say the secret is that in 70 years, they've never skipped church. They still tithe, giving away 10% of their income, and they haven't had a fight. Harold says they've made mistakes, but they've lived with it without getting mad at each other. Stay with it. That's where you get the results. Consistency. We made up our mind, that's what we were going to do. This is how we were going to live. And their love is helping them live a long, long time happily ever after. Congratulations, you guys. I hope you have many more. Thank you. Thank you. We plan to. Adrian Bankert, CBS 11 News. So they go to that Brahms every week. And another key to wedded bliss, they haven't been in debt for decades. Since 1964, they haven't paid interest on anything. Yeah. Pretty amazing. And I, I don't think I mentioned, in case you didn't know, that's Carmen's parents. So that's my, my mother-in-law and father-in-law. Man, could my mother-in-law say some things that most men are afraid to say, right? In fact, I know that some of you men, in your heart, you were wanting to stand up and applaud. But, yeah. <laughs> but seriously, 70 years of marriage, what a wonderful example Carmen and I are coming up on 40 at the end of this month, and she reminded me last night we got 30 to go to catch up with them, but (laughs) hey, we're halfway. In fact, we're over halfway, so 
headed the right direction anyway. One guy, after being married 40 years, uh, he said, I took a careful look at my wife one day and I said, darling, 40 years ago, we had a cheap apartment, a cheap car, slept on the sofa bed and watched a little tiny TV, but I got to sleep with a hot 25-year-old girl every night. Now I have a million-dollar home, a $100,000 car, a nice big bed, a 75-inch plasma screen TV, but I'm sleeping with a 65-year-old woman. Seems to me you're not holding up your end of the deal. He said, my wife is a very reasonable woman. She told me if I could find a hot 25-year-old girl, she would make sure that once again I was living in a cheap apartment, driving a cheap car, <laughs> sleeping on a sofa bed, and watching a tiny little TV. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're in a series called The Blessed Home, and today the message is how to make a marriage great, part one. Yes, there will be a part two. But next week, I want to let you know, we're going to wrap up this series. Oh, there's so much that the Bible has to say on this subject, but we're going to wrap up this series next week. And then in November, on Wednesday night, we're going to begin a series on parenting. So parents, heads up, just want to let you know about that, that that's coming. But we will wrap up this series next week with part two. But whether you've been married six months or 25 years, you need to know the principles of God's Word that can make your marriage great. If you're not married, but you plan to marry someday, it's better that you know these things going into marriage than later trying to pick up the pieces. But there's something in this message today, I can assure you, that all of us can apply in our lives. But how can a marriage last 70 years? You've got to build a firm foundation on the words of Jesus. We're going to go back to Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Jesus says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall." Now, Jesus certainly wasn't just talking about marriage here. He's talking about our whole life. But the principle certainly applies to marriage and to our home that when we do what Jesus says, we're going to be blessed. When we do what Jesus says, our home is going to stand through all the storms. When we do what Jesus says, our love will last through all of the storms. Amen. Jesus wants our marriages to be able to stand through the storms of life. And I, I just really believe this. If we'll obey the teachings of Jesus, well, he promised the storms will come, but we'll come out on the other side. And if we're going to build on Jesus' teachings, then here's the one that we absolutely have to get right. John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, he's talking about all of us. We're to love one another. How much more in our marriage relationship should we love one another as Jesus loved us? Love one another with the love of God. Now, he commands us to do this, to love one another, and when he commands us to do something, 
That means that contrary to the attitude of the world, it is not just something that comes over you. It is something that you can choose to do. You can choose to obey the Lord. And if we're going to obey Him, this ought to be the first and foremost thing we obey the Lord in. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another, love one another as I have loved you. The blessed home is a home filled with love. And certainly, love is what marriage is about. But the world's idea of what love is doesn't work. See, the love that we're talking about this morning is not just an attraction or an emotion that can come and go. So many marriages end because one day, one or both spouses just say, I don't love them anymore. And that's how it ends. We see that from Hollywood all the time. Merriam-Webster Dictionary says love is a feeling or strong constant affection for a person, attraction that includes sexual desire, the strong affection felt by people who have a romantic relationship. Now listen, we all want affection, attraction, a romantic relationship in our marriage, but scripturally, our love has to be something deeper than that. It can't just be about romance and emotion, No, there has to be something deeper for it to last through all the storms of life. In fact, this kind of love that the Bible speaks of can grow stronger through all the storms and all of the challenges of life. You see, so often the world's kind of love, when storms and challenges come, the marriage falls apart. But when we have the God kind of love... We're building on that firm foundation, love one another as Jesus has loved us. I tell you, it can just get stronger. You know, Carmen and I have had some battles over the years, and one of the greatest battles and storms that we've been through was Carmen dealing with cancer and going through different cancer treatments. And a few years ago, we had a house that out in the country, and we had a hot tub on the back porch, and you know, during, during a lot of that time, she, she didn't feel good. and She lost all of her hair. You know, I mean, she was completely bald. She came to church still looking like a million bucks wearing a wig, but, you know, she was completely bald. She didn't look like herself. She didn't feel like herself. And anyway, we were in the hot tub one night, and she didn't feel good, and it just kind of got overwhelmed, and, and, and she started to cry, and she said, I just want to feel good. And I reached my arms out to her, and she got in my lap, and I just held her as she cried. And it was a terrible storm. It broke my heart as I held her, and she cried. It just broke my heart. But in that moment, God did something. Because ever since then, My love for her has been deeper and stronger and better. Listen, I loved her for 35 years before that happened. 35 years I've loved her. And then in that moment when my heart broke for her, it just took on a whole different level. It's just that much stronger, that much deeper. And you see, that's the love of God. 
That's something that's supernatural, and that's the way that we're supposed to love one another. I mean, it's, it's strange that, you know, Jesus tells us love one another in the body of Christ, and he tells us to love our neighbors, ourselves, and he tells us even to love our enemies, all with that kind of God kind of love. Why wouldn't we first and foremost love our spouse with that kind of love? Instead of it being this superficial thing about attraction. And then we wonder why there's so many divorces in our country. I want you to understand the world's way doesn't work, but God's way does work. So this morning, when I talk about love, I'm not talking about the Hollywood kind. We're talking about the God kind. It is a giving, selfless, sacrificial love. It's so much more. It's so much better. It's so much deeper than the world's kind of love. How did he say to love? He said, as I have loved you. And how did he love us? John 15, 13, greater love is no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life. See, the world's kind of love is selfish. It's about me. It's about what I feel. It's about what they do for me. It's about what I need and what I want. But the God kind of love is selfless and giving. It's about meeting somebody else's needs. It's about what I can do for them. And Jesus tells us to love one another the way that he loved us. This next verse Ephesians 5.25 shared it a couple of weeks ago, but it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. It's really clear that we're to love one another with that God kind of love, but it's about giving yourself. It's not just about you getting what you want. In most marriages, both people want their needs to be met. But when we love each other the way the Scripture says to then it's about us meeting our spouse's needs. It's no longer just me trying to get my needs met. It's about me trying to meet the needs of my wife. Let me just give you a few common needs that should be met through the marriage relationship. There's a need for physical intimacy, affection, a relational closeness that only comes from spending time together. There's a need for security in the relationship, for respect, admiration, to be appreciated and valued. In the marriage, we have an obligation to meet one another's needs. Some of you are thinking, yeah, tell, tell that to my wife, tell that to my husband. They, need, they have an obligation to meet my needs. But you see, we need to flip it around. We need to take it personally. I have an obligation to meet my spouse's needs. Every one of us that's married, we have an obligation to meet our spouse's needs. That's part of the God kind of love is that you want to take care of them. You want to meet their needs. And we need to remember this morning that when we said vows, that our spouse took a vow, that there are some needs that will only be met in their life through us. We need to remember that. Sometimes marriages are damaged or destroyed because of an affair. And oftentimes, part of that equation is is that that spouse didn't feel like their needs were being met in their marriage. 
And I don't want you to misunderstand, that doesn't excuse adultery or make the innocent party responsible in any way. But remember this, none of us is above being tempted. And if you want to protect your mate from temptation, then you need to meet their needs. And you see, when we really love each other the way God wants us to, that happens. Why do husbands and wives often fail to meet one another's needs? I want to give you three reasons real quick. The first one is just ignorance. They don't know or they don't understand their spouse's needs. It seems like husbands are worse about this, but they just don't get it sometimes. But here's the good thing about ignorance. You can learn. I mean, it's a head problem that you can fix. And you can talk with your spouse and you can learn about their needs and find out, but you can learn and you can change that with information if you're willing to. The second thing, spouses sometimes don't meet one another's needs because of selfishness. Now, this is a little more difficult because it's not a head problem, it's a heart problem, but it's still fixable. But the only way to fix it is with, with repentance. You got to be willing to change, you got to be willing to change your heart and get rid of that selfishness and decide that you're going to love with the love of God. The third thing, it kind of goes along with that, but sometimes. There's unforgiveness, there's resentment, even anger that's developed over hurts and frustrations, and so a spouse refuses to meet the needs just out of unforgiveness and bitterness. Again, this one also is a heart problem, and it's difficult, but God can help you overcome that so that you can love your spouse. You just have to be willing to... to, allow God to deal with your heart and to make that change. But this morning, I'm going to focus on a couple of needs of men and then a couple of needs of women. And I want to acknowledge that these are stereotypical and that everybody has different needs and different levels. But I want to address these things this morning just simply. And I know that some of the things I'm going to say They so go against the attitude of our culture that it might be hard to swallow, but I challenge you to listen to the Word of God. Ladies, I especially encourage you, lay aside the talk shows, the magazine articles, the secular books on relationships, and hear what the Scripture says. For most men, we know this, but there is a need for physical intimacy. And I just want to go on record saying... Sex is a wonderful thing. Well, that's dirty. No, God designed it, and it's a wonderful thing in a marriage relationship. The world has perverted it and made it ugly and dirty, but the way that God designed it to be is a wonderful thing. Listen to what the Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 3 and 4. And before I read this, I, I know that some of you men didn't even know this in the Bible, and it's about to become your favorite passage of Scripture. But <laughs> let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body. What? Somebody take that out of the Bible. That can't be right. But the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body. But the wife does. Both husband and wife have an obligation to meet one another's needs in this area. I know that's not what the world says, but that's what the Bible says. It is so backwards from what the world says. 
It's all about me and what I want. But that's not at all what the Scripture teaches. Two people trying to meet one another's needs works way better than two people just trying to meet their own needs, just trying to get somebody else to meet their need. In fact, I just want to tell you, this is better all the way around when two people are trying to meet each other's needs. I think there's more than two of you that want to say amen to that. We need to get that. This works. The world's way doesn't work. This works. I know this, these verses could be taken out of context and abused by some selfish person, but when we do what the Scripture says, we're protecting our marriage and we're bringing the blessing of God on our marriage. So why is this so important? Let's go on to verse 5. He says, Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. Consent means you both agree. And why would they do this? He says that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. For a time of fasting and prayer. This is wild. And what does he say? You come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. See, if you want to protect your marriage, then you meet one another's needs. Satan, our enemy, our adversary, he will try to tempt you when that, those needs are not being met. It's so important. Verse 6, he says, but I say this as a concession, not a commandment. It's not a command, but it is the wisdom of Scripture. Some people think since it's not a command, we just ignore it. Well, that's foolish. He says it's keeping the enemy from getting in and destroying your home through temptation. For I wish that all men were even as I myself. The Apostle Paul was single. But each one has his own gift from God. He talks about being single as a gift. God had gifted him that way. But not everybody has that gift. He says, one in this manner and another in that. And he's telling us here that some are gifted with singleness and some are gifted with a spouse. What a wonderful blessing. Let's talk about one more strong need for most men. Ladies, in case you haven't noticed, most men have a big ego. I mean, that's why even the world talks about this all the time, the male ego. It's a thing. And I, I know that some wi- women feel like it's their job to bring a man down to size and to put him in his place, you know, help God humble the proud. In our culture, it's just kind of a thing. I mean, it's kind of all the rage that a lot of times women want to put a man in his place. But I want you to hear me. That's wrong. Don't do God's job. Do your job. And your job is to respect your husband. Your job is to meet his needs. 
We read this two weeks ago, Ephesians 5.33. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Men need respect. Men need admiration. They need to feel like they're important in some way, that they matter in some way, that they make a difference. Every husband needs to know that even when the whole world is against him, he has a woman at home that is always rooting for him, that's always for him, that thinks he's great. And I know some women, they're like, well, that, my husband, you know, I can't find anything much about him to admire. Well, you better figure it out because every man has a need in his life to be admired, to be respected, and that needs to be met by his wife. So many women go out of their way just to bring a man down. And somehow they think that, you know, by criticizing him that it's going to be motivational for him to help him get up and achieve more. But it has the opposite effect. And, and w- the worst case scenario then, though, is that that man looks for that admiration and respect from somebody else. And oftentimes when somebody has an affair, people will say, you know, that woman... She's not near as good looking as his wife. Why would he have an affair with that woman? And and the the wife is saying, what has she got that I don't got? But he finds a woman who respects him and admires him, tells him how great he is. So if you want to dramatically reduce the likelihood your husband will ever have an affair, here's a Bible perspective for you. Proverbs 2.16. Deliver to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. How does the immoral woman seduce? She flatters with her words. She builds him up. She tells him how great he is. Here's another one. Proverbs 5.3. The lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. See, she tempts not just with her body but with her words until she gets him tied around her finger. Proverbs 7, 21. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. A lot of people don't even realize how important this is, but you see, a man has a need to be admired and respected, to be encouraged and built up. Ladies, this is a need that you need to meet. You tell your husband how great he is. You're help protecting him from an affair. I know this goes against what culture says, but I also know that it works. I have a lot of faults and weaknesses, and I do not deserve the admiration of somebody like Carmen. And most people know that I married way up. I mean, it's an amazing grace of God shown to me. But even though I don't deserve it, she constantly admires me, tells me how strong I am. (laughs) Hey, don't laugh too much. That's not nice, but... She keeps me built up. She lets me know how valuable I am, that I matter, that I make a difference. She calls me wonderful. In fact, if you get her phone, 
in her contact list, you won't find my name, you'll find wonderful. And when I call her and my picture pops up on her phone, it says wonderful. And then she answers the phone and she says, how wonderful. She's admiring me. She's respecting me. She's encouraging me, building me up all the time. And I tell you, that is important one way or another. You know, for every couple, it might be a little, you know, look a little different. But one way or another, you need to do that. You know, when I, when I preach and minister, sometimes it's better than others. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes nobody said, hey, I was really ministered to, or that was good. But I can always find Carmen, and I'll just kind of follow her around like a puppy dog until she eventually tells me it's good, and then I'm okay. You see, a man needs that. We need somebody in our corner all the time. Need somebody that will admire us and listen. It helps protect a man from seeking that admiration from somebody else. But it also helps him reach his full potential. Now, one of the biggest needs for most women is the need for affection. Back to 1 Corinthians 7, 3, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. I think that certainly includes physical affection, but it's not just about sex. It's about holding hands and kisses and being held. Women need that kind of affection, but not even just in touch. They need affectionate words. And a lot of guys struggle with this. You know, it's this old attitude. Well, I promise to love her until, you know, death do us part, and I'll let her know if it ever changes. No, you need to be letting her know every single day. Women need that. They need that kind of affection. I know it's a struggle for a lot of men, but this is one of those things. We talked about it last week. You've got to work at it. You can't take it for granted. You've got to work at it. You've got to meet that need for affection. And you express that affection in the things that you do and the things that you say. Let me give you an example from the Song of Solomon. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. Uh, Fair here doesn't mean average. Just saying. Um, Verse 9, You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes. Now, I know that that's a little much for some of you, you know, more than you can handle, and your wife would probably bust out laughing if you were to say that to her. But I'm just telling you one way or another, you need to express affection to your wife. Tell her how beautiful she is. Tell her how wonderful she is. Tell her how much she means to you. Tell her that you think she's pretty. By the way, I call Carmen beautiful. That's my nickname for her. On my my contact list, it says beautiful. And I call her beautiful all day. Listen, it's easy because she's beautiful. But you need to express affection to your wife one way or another. If you don't sweet talk your wife, somebody else might. But buy flowers for, buy her a new golf club, a bridle, a Bible, whatever her love language is, but you express affection for her. Take her on a weekend getaway. Don't take it for granted. Another need that most women have is the need for meaningful conversation. I know most guys don't like to get any deeper than talking about sports, but women have a need for meaningful conversation. They want to talk about their day. They want to talk about your day. They want to talk about whatever happens. They want to talk about everything. They want to talk about their feelings, and worse yet, they want to talk about your feelings. (laughs) And without meaningful conversation, they feel less secure, less appreciated, less loved. 
Gentlemen, you may not be a great conversationalist, but you can be a good listener. And I don't mean that glazed over thing. I don't mean while you're watching the game, you nod your head. No, you need to tune in and you need to listen so that your wife feels like you understand. She feels like that she's not alone, that you're in this together. Sometimes women end up in an affair because some man listened to her and it made her feel special and it made her feel loved. You need to meet that need. Now, I've just given you a couple of stereotypical examples, as I said, of the needs of men and women. Everybody has different needs. Every couple has to deal with different needs, and that's one reason. Another reason, you need meaningful conversation to talk about those needs. Some of you husbands are hating me right now, but I'm telling you, it's so important that you meet those needs. You know, marriage, many times, one or both people feel like their love is not what it once was. Things change. But I want to tell you this morning, love is still a choice. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus writes to the church of Ephesus. He speaks to the church of Ephesus. He tells them, you have left your first love. Go back and do the first works, he says. And I want you to understand that this works in a marriage relationship as well. When the love has begun to wane away, what do you need to do? You need to go back and do the things you did at first. Maybe even the things you did when you were dating. You need to renew that love by doing those first works again. And that may seem strange, it may seem counterintuitive to do something that you don't really feel, but here's the thing, is that when we do what we're supposed to do, so often the emotions then will follow. But you got to go back and do the first works. Newspaper columnist and minister George Crane, he tells about a wife who came into his office full of hatred towards her husband, and she, is, she says, I don't just want to get rid of him. I want to get even. Before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as bad as he's hurt me. And so Dr. Crane came up with this ingenious plan. He told her, he said, go home and act as if you really love your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait. Go out of your way to be kind and considerate and generous. Spare no efforts to please him, to enjoy him, make him believe you love him, and after you've convinced him of your undying love that you can't live without him, then drop the bomb and tell him you want a divorce. She said, oh, this is wonderful. This will really hurt him. And so with revenge in her eyes, she she smiles and she goes out to to do this and with enthusiasm. She acts like she loves him. For two months, she shows him love and respect and kindness and giving and reinforcing and sharing. Dr. Crane said that she never came back. And so after a couple of months, he calls her. He says, are you ready to get a divorce now? She said, no. I found out I really do love him. I don't want to divorce my husband. I love my husband. You see, it was the motion that brought the emotion. And a lot of times it works that way. It's that we don't do what we're supposed to be doing and the love wanes away. No, if we'll really meet one another's needs and love one another with that action, God kind of love, 
so often the emotions come. There's not any perfect marriage, because there's not any perfect people. We all have faults and make mistakes. But here's what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. God's love is bigger than whatever problems. First Peter 4, 8 says, And above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Whatever's happened in the past, if you love one another fervently, you can get past it. Amen. Just keep loving one another. When we really love one another the way he loves us, I'll tell you, everything works out. How do you do marriage God's way? Love one another. You choose to do it. You choose to do it in the things that you do, the things that you say every day. Sometimes when you look at a good marriage and a bad marriage, it doesn't seem like there's that much difference in what they do. They may do a lot of the same things and say a lot of the same things, but there's a difference in the way that they do them. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, Let all that you do be done with love. Now, again, this verse is not written specifically about a marriage relationship. This is for all of us all the time. But how appropriate, how much more in a marriage relationship should we do all that we do with love? The way we talk to each other, we ought to talk to each other with love. If you're not talking, if you're not speaking in love, you're doing it wrong. See, the way we care for one another, the way we meet one another's needs, we do that with love. The way we serve one another, we do that with love. Whatever we do, all that you do, he says, you do it with love. Because I want to tell you, love works. God's way works. I read a story written by a surgeon named Richard Seltzer, who was a professor of surgery at Yale Medical School. And Seltzer tells the story, he writes about how he had to remove a tumor from the cheek of a young woman. And after surgery, the woman is in bed and her post-operative mouth was somewhat twisted. A tiny part of the facial nerve had been severed in the operation. It released a muscle that led to her mouth, and her young husband was in the room afterwards with the surgeon. And the young woman says, will my mouth always be like this? And the doctor said, yes, the nerve was cut. And she nodded and fell silent. And Seltzer wrote, then the young husband smiled gently and said, I like it. It's kind of cute. He bends to kiss her crooked mouth and he writes, I'm so close that I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate hers to show that their kiss still works. I remember that the angels sometimes appeared in Bible times as mortals. I hold my breath and wonder. That's the God kind of love. Amen. I want to tell you, that will make a marriage last. 
that will make a great marriage. I want you to stand with me. We're going to pray. I'd like for prayer partners to come.